Welcome to another edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Bubba, we continue to crank these things out as if we're podcast experts. <laughs> well, we all know that's not true, Rick, but here we are anyway. You know what we say about Rick and Bubba University? Uh, if, if you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, 20 hours of Rick and Bubba talking during the week is not its not enough for me, <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to take another 45 from them. Well, welcome to Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Uh, our guest today is Chuck Hooten. Uh, Chuck uh, is joining us, and, and we're going to start out, first of all, about the text that I got. Chuck Hooten and I uh, met each other when he was uh, assistant uh, to our very own Eddie Van Adler's dad, oh, wow. Michael Adler, uh, who is worship uh, pastor at the church that I attend in Birmingham, Alabama. And for two years, Chuck Hooten was part of that uh, worship team, and uh, and then he and I have done some events together where he led uh, worship. Uh, so let's uh, let's welcome worship leader Chuck Hooten to the Rick and Bubba Show. Chuck. How you doing, buddy? Yes, I'm so glad to be here, man. This is so fun. You right. know, you know, the two years he was uh, working with Adler's probably the only two years he didn't have the best hair on stage. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you you cannot even touch Adler hair. No, it no, is, it's a gift. Somebody told it me is a gift. I mean, you said that God had called you to something, but somebody said you let you left really out of hair intimidation. <laughs> Yeah, because because everywhere I had been, my hair was was kind of something, and I just couldn't handle it anymore. To tell you the truth, <laughs> let's let's we're going to talk about the book uh, because I think the topic you're talking about. I mean, we're in a you know the the American church, the Western church. We're we're in a we're in a very important place right now. We we're at a crossroads. We got we got to make some important decisions. I think it's being purged. I think it's being refined. Uh, we'll talk about just the topic of worship itself. Uh, but I want to first of all start off with the text that I got, and I, I think I was deer hunting at the time, and you and I were, were trading back a couple of texts, and I want you to know Chuck is very good about wearing our Rick and Bubba merch in strange places. Well, we love that. And and all of a sudden you said, oh, by the way, I've sold my house, we've bought an RV, and Emily and I with the kids are going to just live in the RV for a time. Yeah. And, and then you you can follow the Hooten family on Hootens and Homies on Instagram and YouTube, and they've been documenting this life, and I've been watching it. You now don't think that, that well, that, we're rooting for the Hootens. I mean, we're rooting for the Hootens. <laughs> when, when when you think about this, now keep in mind he does have four children, and that's great, but wow. he has four daughters. In that's an, an RV. That, that's a different game. Lily, Ava, wow. May, and Josie. And your wife Emily, so it—I mean—they've got you outnumbered five to one, and, yeah. and you're living in an RV. Can you explain to us? Are you trying to like do the children of Israel like out in the desert for forty years? Yes. What is this? What are you doing, Chuck? Yeah, well, no, it was—it was hilarious. And as a side, like the four daughters thing, when we got married, my wife asked me. She said, "How can I pray for you?" And I was like, "Well, I feel like that I have kind of a cold heart. Like I don't ever cry about things. I'm not." super emotional. So I'm just praying that God softens my heart a little bit. And then he gave me four daughters, which was like, and now at this point, I've, I'm so emotional hanging out with them all the time. I've told him to limit production because I, I'm i just too much. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like, and we actually started planning to do this RV thing pre COVID. And I had gotten to a point in life and ministry, I was just a little bit tired and uh, praying for some fresh vision praying for some interesting, you say that about the church, asking some questions about not the church I was at, the church universal. Sure. 
And uh, sometimes it's hard to get clarity on those questions when you're working every day at a church. And I needed a sabbatical and a break anyway, just just a little bit tired. And so I went to the elders at our church and said, hey, guys, I'm going to take a break, hit the pause button. And the way and the way we're going to do it is I'm going to I'm going to sell everything that I have, including my house. I'm going to buy a 38 foot RV and we're going to hit the road. And that's what that's what we've done. And so, yeah, for the last five months, we've been living in a house on wheels uh, me and five women and a little ugly dog. And it's been amazing. It's been, it's, I, I say this and I, sometimes it's hard to say this because of the year that 2020 has been, but for me spiritually, it's been the, the, the best year of my life. God's just done an amazing thing, an amazing work in me and my family. My kids have grown. My wife has grown. Our marriage has grown. Everything has just been a positive. And it's also been crazy. I mean, we could sit here and talk for hours. Some of the crazy stories I have from this summer and some of the places we've been and some of the people we've met, but it's been incredible. Yeah, I, mean, I followed along with you guys, and of course, every now and then, you know, we we would text and get an update. What, what do you think this uh, this confirmation that God gave you and your wife to do this? Have you seen what the reasons were? You you, you talked about that you were busy, you needed a sabbatical. H- has it done what you hoped it would do? Yeah, you know, I went out asking one question, and God often does this in my life. So I went out asking the question, God, what do you want me to do? And so I was journaling, God, do you want me to do, and I was naming a bunch of jobs in the church. Do you want me to be a worship pastor? Do you want me to be a pastor? Do you want me to write? I had this list of titles. God, which title do you want me to wear? And very quickly, God changed the conversation, like within days of us being on the road. And he said, I want you to put aside the, what do you want me to do question? And all summer and 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 since we left, God has been talking. <laughs> I was asking one question. God wanted me to ask another. It's, who are you becoming? Like, who are you? What's your giftedness? Is is the spirit growing within you? Is Christ growing within you? Because all of those titles you listed are made up titles. Those are jobs y'all made up. What I have asked you to be is to be uniquely created and gifted the way I've uniquely created and gifted you. And then as the spirit flows out of that, that's where kingdom work happens. It doesn't, somebody said to me last week, the church has become a lot about uh, logos and egos. And I think even some of my questions of like, what do you want me to do were, were logos and egos questions. And God quickly stripped all of that away and was like, man, I, I, I just want you to know why I created you and how you're gifted. And so literally sitting around campfires all summer, God started bringing people around our family this summer at our campfire. And I've, I've since started asking people, what's your campfire? Because it was so profound. Um, we met uh, atheists. We met people who had been walking with the Lord that were away. I had the chance to share the gospel with people that I would never would have had the chance to share the gospel with, and um, that I'm still in contact with, that I'm that I'm texting with yesterday and this morning. Um, so God just did a re- he. I was asking one question. God wanted to answer another. That's the that's the short answer, and He continues to answer that question for me. We'll continue talking with Chuck Hooten. The the book that he has written is called The Worship Problem. Uh, we'll jump into you know what this book is all about and continue to talk about uh, you know what God is doing. Uh, also to a family that decided to pull up all their roots, get in an RV, and go out and see uh, God's beautiful creation. When we continue on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. All right, talking to Chuck Hooten. Uh, the the book is called The Worship Problem. Uh, we we talked about that you and your family. Um, and and I want you guys to know because uh, we we know the Hootons well enough, even though we. Uh, once they went and have been on their journey, we've been following. You get invited over to their RV much? I, I haven't, and and let's be honest, 
Am I the kind of guy you invite to the RV? Yeah, Rick, I don't <laughs> think there's room for you no. in the RV. But I remember, because I wonder about that. I have a lot of RV living questions. I don't know yeah. that I could get to all of them yeah. today. Well, we but certainly can try, especially with, with. I know another family with, that's doing that, by the way. With five women in there. Do you? Yes, I do. This no, is, none of them aren't traveling. It's actually parked on a lot somewhere. Really? Yes. But but so, I, the reason why I want this to know about, you know, because we always talk about sometimes God calls you to do something. I think sometimes, I'll be honest with you, I've been this way before. You're almost afraid to pray the way. We should. I'm thankful for Romans chapter 8 that says, if you got the Spirit, sometimes the Holy Spirit inter- intercedes on your behalf and plays and prays what you ought to be praying. Right. Because I think sometimes we're afraid God will actually do what he needs to do to answer the question for us. I, I've watched the Hooten family. You guys had a beautiful house on some beautiful land, and it would have been real easy to say, we got it just like we like it. And, yeah. uh, and I, you know, as a matter of fact, Sherry and I wept. When you sold that house, we were like, they, "What they they gave that up?" Mm-hmm. I mean, that that that's that's something we're trying to get to. Uh, maybe <laughs> one day it was it was you had it like you liked it, but I guess you said, but that that wasn't what God wanted us to do. He didn't want you to stay there. No, he was he was pushing us to something more. I think into something better and something better, not being wrapped up in in sticks and bricks and where we live. Something more that had to do with uh, something you can't put your hands on, but having to do with the spirit. And yeah, we did, we did have it the way that we liked it. We were very comfortable. Um, and I write about this some in the book. I think that faith equals lots of times. God is not punishing us, but he's asking us to give up what we think that we want so that he can give us something better. And we have found in living in very small living quarters without a lot of things, something better than the things that we had um, relationally, spiritually, and I don't think this is the way we're going to live forever. Well, that was my next question. Are we stay, yeah. <laughs> are we staying in the RV? No. Uh, uh, well, because you've been out there a long time. I don't know how to break it to you. You don't have a house. No, uh, I don't. Because you sold it. Are you uh, in the RV now, by the way? I mean, is this a room in the back? What is this? <laughs> this is the nicest RV. No. I came up to a, so a church that I was on staff at, that I actually was on staff at before we started the RV. This is my old office, which is actually a recording studio. And so... I came up here because I was said I have a five-year-old daughter, and it would have been one of those situations where she would have been passing back and forth, not wearing any clothes the whole right. time we were trying to talk. So, yeah, yeah we uh, I had to come borrow a room. So, so I know, and we are going to leave this eventually, but Bob and I are so intrigued by this life. So from what I gathered, and I know you, you did everything safely, obviously, but from what I gathered watching the videos you guys were putting out, I don't think you and Emily knew that much about RVs. And, and really what to do, it, it have, didn't you kind of just take this on and you learned it as you went? Yeah, man. We didn't know, like, the, the day we left, guys, we spent the night in the church parking lot because I couldn't figure out how to air up the tires. And literally, like, we, we left and we drove through Nashville. We camped the first night in this tiny little campground just north of Nashville. And when I hooked the RV up to water, the middle toilet flooded and the it was like it was like a water slide running down through the middle out the front door so yeah. we i mean to say that we didn't know what we were doing is is underselling it man like we had no we the first night we were actually camping we walked and emily we were both kind of like looking at each other like what have we done we've made a terrible mistake we're going to flood our rv every night we don't even know how to hook up the water so yeah man we had no idea what we we're doing uh, at all. I, I, that's the part. I remember one time you were like up front and I saw that big steering wheel and you were like, well, here we go. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, what is, what is Hooten doing? 
but 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 again, you you learn. Was the biggest obstacle? I mean, we're thinking about bathrooms. We're thinking about girls. Uh, yeah. what, what was what were the toughest things about living the RV life? Yeah, the toughest things. And I said this to somebody the other day. Like you leave in your head, you're like, oh, all these things are going to be hard. And then those things you end up figuring out pretty quickly. And then you figure out the things that are actually hard. I mean, things that we didn't plan for. So the like the second night, there were probably 75,000 moths flying around an RV. Yeah. And I had yeah. no idea. I mean, I'm literally, I have a fly swatter. I'm standing there. It's like 12 o'clock at night and I'm just swatting at moths. Well, there was this little seal that I had forgotten to like do when the slide came out. Like this little rubber seal had folded over. So all these moths were coming in towards the light. So it's things that you wouldn't even imagine because I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, all the things that I thought would be hard, like, is everybody going to have a place to sleep? Is everybody going to have enough space? Is everybody going to have enough private space? All of those things. Well, like when you're in the middle of Glacier National Park, uh, you've got plenty of space to be uh, by yourself. Like yeah. if you if you need to be by yourself, I mean, just take the bear spray with you, but you've got plenty of options to be by yourself. So all the things I thought were going to be hard weren't hard. Things that I didn't even think about were going to be hard ended up being challenging. But this RV is nice, man. We got a kitchen, we got two bathrooms, we got a fridge. You know, we got a yeah, yeah. It was now. Is this is this one you drive or is it like a fifth wheel? No, it's a drive. It's like a big class A, and we were towing a Jeep behind us, which was hilarious because my wife Emily also drove the RV. So that was like an incredible experience every time she got behind the wheel. Yeah, (laughs) saw some of those videos. Yeah, Yeah. that. that. So. So let's let's jump into the book. Uh, yeah. How it's called the worship problem, and you really take us on a biblical history of worship, which goes all the way back to the Old Testament. And uh, and and I'm, I'm I guess I'm attempting to oversimplify it. I'll let you explain it. But uh, the bottom line is, uh, when you take it back to its original design, worship, like everything else, was corrupted by the fall, hmm. and then worship just like we had to be and everything had to be also had to be redeemed. And in your book, you're, you're asking the question, do we understand what we really need to do to truly be in a redeemed version or the original intent of worship to begin with? Is that oversimplifying the book too much? No, I think you, I think you just did an amazing job describing that because so the book starts with a statement is that we were created for one thing and that was to worship we were created as worshipers and that has never changed like the the essence of who we are has never changed when we wake up and put our feet on the floor in the morning we begin to worship it's the only thing we do consistently all day every day we worship and so because it's what we were made to do and so the book asks the question what what did the fall break what did it do like what did it change about our worship And so that's why it kind of goes back to the beginning and begins to ask those questions of if our worship was broken, what did it look like in the beginning? And what are the steps that God was taking through scriptures, through the scripture to bring us back to the created intent for what worship was? And so it's asking that question and also trying to answer that question for us of what it might look like if we truly begin to embrace this idea of what it looks like to really worship something and that something becoming God himself. Bubba, you, we've talked about it on the show so many times, and this book is is the topic we've talked about. Just watch human beings. You can tell we were designed to worship, and we're going to worship something. <laughs> yes, and, and, and you hear all the time, and, and I, I know that I'm going to say this, and I'm not saying this to be provocative. I'm saying it because I think it's something that you, we're not supposed to say, but everybody's thinking it. I remember I never, I never forgot the first time a man just looked me in the eye 
talking about men's ministry, which is you know where God has kind of uh, called me right now to concentrate on this very important, influential uh, person that God created. Men and women are equal, but the duties are different. And, uh, and there's an influence that God gave a man that, that you can't do anything about. It's turned on all the time. So it's either a detriment or an obstacle or it's a blessing and it's an attribute. Uh, you can't just be say, I'm, I'm going to go to neutral, no influence. You can't do that. So God didn't make men that way. And, uh, and so anyway, he said to me one time, and I appreciated his honesty, and I wonder with you being a worship leader, you, you haven't experienced the same thing. And I love these messages, and I've done it myself where the, where the pastor gets up and he says, well, just look at the way we act about football. You know, you've heard that message a lot of times, and I remember the first time I heard a pastor say this, football's a great game, but it's a lousy God. And I was like, yeah, amen. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how we set up the worship leader and the marching band, and we work everybody into a frenzy, and, and here comes what we're worshiping, and that's our team. Now, this may be for somebody else. It might be hunting and fishing. It might be their golf. It might be their business. It might be their children. Whatever it may be, you see us worshiping. And I remember when this man, I was making this point, he says, can I just tell you honestly? Why I get more fired up about a football game than church? It's a better product. Mm-hmm. And I went, "What?" He goes, "They, they, they, they bring something to the table." <laughs> and uh, and I thought to myself, "Oh my goodness!" And I, you talk about this in the book. Um, ha- have we failed to do it in a way that draws people to God? And uh, the reason why people are worshiping these other things is those things are doing the steps that appeals to the worship creation in every human being man well that's a great that is a great question i think the answer is yes but i think this the way that we've answered the question in a way has been the problem so in the book we start in the garden in the book and it it talks about the fact that in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and it's this separate idea of heaven and earth and then it says this this curious thing that god planted a garden in eden so there's this really specific spot that God creates, and then he begins to interact with humanity there. So I, I've even talked to this about my kids. I was like, imagine like heaven and earth, and then imagine like when you pull your hands together like this, the place where your fingers overlap, that was Eden, and that's where we were created to live. And the book talks about that the ingredients of worship are surrender and sacrifice. So, And those continue to be the ingredients of what we worship are the things that we surrender to and that we sacrifice for. Football is a great a great example of that because we we surrender our identity, our will. We wear the clothes, and I love football. I'm not a football basher, but we you know we wear no, the I logo. Yeah. We, we we cheer for the team, and then we sacrifice time, money, resources. So the elements, the ingredients of worship are there. But in the beginning, surrender and sacrifice all revolved around this tree in the garden. God God gave us freedom to do literally anything: eat, run, play, touch, taste experience except for this one thing just surrender and sacrifice to this one thing and and then the serpent you guys know the story the serpent comes in and and he doesn't question anything that god has made because it was good he he questions what god had said did god really say he questions what god said and since then our worship has been altered from surrender and sacrifice of god to surrender and sacrifice to the self I mean, there's, there's a reason the very first story after the fall is the story of Cain and Abel, and it is a story about worship. That's what the story is about. Two brothers came to worship. One's, one sacrifice was accepted and one wasn't. And what God says to Cain is, if you do well, it has nothing to do with the offering he's bringing. He said, if right. you do well, 
And so I think to answer your question, the issue is, and the reason that the product product is not as good, has become some ways, even in the church, since we are now the the source of our worship and what we want to surrender and sacrifice to, we create experiences in the church that look and sound like God would look and sound if he were like us. Like, let us make God in our image. And then we're pretty lousy gods, just like football is God. And very quickly, people become disenchanted with the worship in the church. Because even when you see how God is being caricatured or displayed, I mean, it's, 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 not, it's lacking because we're surrendering and sacrificing to something that is not God himself. And so they, they go try other things to surrender and sacrifice to football or, or hunting or fishing or, or substances or all these kind of things, but they're all lacking. Um, and so in a way, it, not in a way, that is what the book is about. It is a story through, through Israel's eyes of the failures of what, all the things that they tried that, that were not worshipped. I want to jump into that and, and ask some specific questions because I think you in, are, are, are completely on to something, and I think that, that we, can, we can see the problem. Then we're going to talk about how we're going to address the problem when we come back on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Bubba, uh, what do millions of Americans and three former U.S. presidents have in common? I don't know, Rick. What? Well, they agree that bowl and branch sheets are the softest, most comfortable, pure organic cotton sheets on earth. Man, that's, three, three that's, that's good stuff. I tell you, there's nothing better than having a bed mm. in your RV with fresh sheets on it. <laughs> you know, I mean, no. isn't that the truth? Look, now, here's how it works Bowling Branch cotton is, is rain fed, pesticide free, and carries the highest organic certification. And that's why when you snuggle in them, they're so soft. Uh, they work with family owned meals all over the world to, expert, uh, to ex- expertly. Uh, weave every set so they they go and this this picture like a, you got your mama and your daddy out there on the farm they're cotton farmers it, it's possible just like you would see in some other things that you know farmers produce you might see that old bowling branch sign right out front their cotton field and uh, they're going to be able to weave every set of the bowling branch sheets with the highest level of craftsmanship it's quality that you can feel uh, the moment that you that you open the box and and boy you got to when you snuggle into these you're going to love them and since they sell direct to you and me Bowling Branch sheets start at just one hundred and sixty dollars now there's they're 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 thousand dollar quality but for a fraction of the price and that's important you know don't go off and say well I see this pair of sheets and it costs this no you got to you got to go apples and apples uh, the 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 quality that you're getting with Bowling Branch you'll understand pretty quick that's a fraction of the price that you would normally pay because of their buying power and the way they operate. Plus, you can sleep on them for a month risk-free. Try them for a month and see if you like them. If you don't, that's fine. So right now, here's what we want you to do. Bubba and I are going to get you $50 off any sheet set at Bowling Branch. That's B-O-L-L, BowlingBranch.com with the promo code Rick Bubba. B-O-L-L and Branch.com, the promo code Rick Bubba, $50 off any pair of sheets you buy. Uh, bowlingbranch.com, promo code Rick Bubba. Restrictions may apply. See bowlingbranch.com. All the details are there for you. Talking with Chuck Hooten, uh, he is the, uh, the author of the book, The Worship Problem. He is a worship leader himself. Um, and, and we talked about uh, how it was originally in, intended. It was about surrender and sacrifice of self and then the glorification of God, meaning we entered into his presence, and, and once you enter into God's presence, then you understand that he is worthy of worship. Yes. And so what we have done, and especially in the, uh, not so much around the world, but in the American contemporary church, 
and you hear this, and this is I'm going to go somewhere that, and, and you know, you can say, Bird, just don't take me there, but I am going to. It's our podcast. You agreed to be here. <laughs> Let's go. Okay. Is and you you touched on it going to the break. A lot of times you walk into churches today, and I'm not and, and praise God, there's exceptions. I'm speaking in general, mm-hmm. and sure. you get the sense that the service is all about us, the human beings. That God mm-hmm. is just obsessed with us. And then yeah. and then here's where I'm going to get a little uncomfortable. There's a lot of modern worship songs that if you sing the theology in that song, coming out for some really big churches. And the theology, if you don't know Scripture, you think this is true theology and pure theology, and it's not. Mm-hmm. I, I had my spirit get so overwhelmed with God's displeasure of a worship song that was being sung in a place where I was one day. And my wife looked at me. She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm praying that God purge this out of this church. Uh, this song is not about him. You, you think that God is a human worshiper in this song. Uh, and and, they're, and these are not his characteristics. This is not who he is. And so we're, we're, we're just taking some of this worship music, and I know that's not all worship is, but in, in this bad theology and, and giant churches everywhere are singing things to God that he would that he would have displeasure with. Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of you're talking, so God has walked Israel out of slavery um, he's, he's made them a nation. And in the book of first Samuel chapter eight, the people come to the prophet Samuel and they say, give us a King so that we can be like all the other nations in the earth. And it says this thing displeased Samuel. And so Samuel brings it to God and God says to Samuel, Hey, don't, don't worry. They are not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as their King. And so in essence, what Israel is saying is we want to look and sound and feel like everybody else around us. And that kind of encapsulates what's in our hearts. So we look out and we see everything around us and we say, no, I, I, want, it, I want it to look like that. So what we do in the church is we say, well, listen, I think God would be like X. And, and always what X is, is I think God would be like what I'm like. God looks just like me. He, talk, he would make the decisions I make. He, would, he loves the people I would love people. He loves the things that I, that I love. And so we turn that into God and we write songs about that God. And we preach sermons about that God, and we create and craft all of these conferences around that God. But brass tacks, it's just like Israel, and we talk about that a little bit in the book, too, in a chapter about Israel. Say, we, we bring our demands to God. God, we demand that you be like us. And God does love us, but his love equals like, no, 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 no. I, I don't bend to your demand that I will be like you. Actually, what this is going to to look like is I'm going to make you like me. And the the crazy thing about that, Rick, is is that the way he does that is not by like thunder and lightning and all these things. John 1 says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He took on skin and bones. He became the perfection of everything that that we're not. The word was made flesh and worship was reborn as Jesus lived it out. I think it's fascinating as we talk about surrender and sacrifice that God himself in the garden of Gethsemane is praying to the father and saying, not my will, but yours be done on his way to a tree. Just like in the garden, there is a tree on his way to not a tree of life, but to the cross. But he is modeling for us. He, he is, he is saying, not my will, but yours be done. He is recreating 
what Adam failed to do. And in our churches, we are not doing that. We are creating a version of God that suits us, and then we're surrendering and sacrificing to it. So in essence, that is idolatry. That is idolatry. It is to create a God that looks, sounds, smells like us, and then we worship it. And it's a great God because it looks like us. And that's what you just said is, is in essence, and like you said, not every church. But I hear so many times, well, I think God would do X. Mm, oh, boy. Or, or, I, or I, I won't believe in a God that would do X. Well, surrender and sacrifice is not being made to God. It's being made to ourselves. And, and so, yeah, we are worshiping. We're just not worshiping God. So, Chuck, what does it look like when we get it right? You know, I, we've, and I we've think, talked a lot about what it ain't or mm, what it, where we're wrong. What, when we get it right, what does it look like? So I, and I write in the book too, just to simp, to me, the, the, the simplest, you know, what does surrender and sacrifice look like? Worship is a reaction to the revelation of God. So that when we see God truly who he is, our response to that is going to be surrender and sacrifice. Uh, one of the greatest examples of this is when the disciples are asleep in the boat and the storms come up and they're raging all around. And, and no, no, Jesus is asleep in the boat. The disciples are scared for their life. <laughs> right. We'll flip that. And the disciples wake up Jesus and say, do you not care? We're about to die. And Jesus stands up and he says, peace be still. And the disciples, it's, it's interesting because it says that the disciples ask the question, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? They've gotten a glimpse of something that they hadn't previously gotten. And then it says, and then they fell down in the boat and they worshiped him. So when they saw Jesus for who he really was, not who they had created the Messiah to be, not all their expectations of what it was going to look like for the Messiah to come, when they saw him as he truly was, their response to that was to fall down in the boat and worship. And so I think, I think it's a great question, and I think that to do it right, we have to see God as he is, not as who we've made him to be. And we have to bring ourselves an absolute openness to what he is going to look like and what he's going to say, which... Rick, I think you said earlier, sometimes we're scared to do that because we're scared of what he's going to do and what he's going to say. But when we bring ourselves to him in that vulnerability and say, God, whatever you're like, whatever you're going to say, whatever you're going to ask of me, I'm going to respond to that. Well, then we're entering into that rhythm of surrender. And then whatever he, whatever he asks us to do, when we do that, we're entering into that rhythm of sacrifice. And lots of times we think it's going to be scary. He's going to ask us to sell our house and move an RV or something crazy right, like that. Right, crazy it's gonna, stuff. And it's going to be awful. And then it ends up being like the greatest thing that's ever happened to you. I, I've heard, I have heard personally from God more this year. I wish I could just read through some of my journal entries with you following in obedience on something that seemed a little bit crazy because God wanted me to take me out to the wilderness a little bit, just to love on me and just to care for me and to inter reintroduce himself to me. And I think that's the answer to the question. It's not about, I, I make the statement in the book, Worship is not saying right things about God. It is becoming right things. It is the script being flipped from everything we thought we wanted and everything we thought that we were for God to be able to come in and say, no, 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 actually you were created for this. Actually, I made you for this. And then we begin to worship, and, and you begin to literally feel and interact with the presence of God. So, Chuck, let me let me follow up on that when we come back. All right, so we'll come back and and we'll follow up on what you just talked about because there's some things that uh, that are popping in, into both of our heads. We want to ask you about. We'll continue with Chuck Hooten on this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. All right, so did you know the average American has 97 points they can add to their credit score, but they have no idea how to get those points. 
Well, that's that's why, Bubba, we're excited to have ScoreMaster join us here. ScoreMaster is the new credit science that super boosts your credit score. Forget raising your credit score a few points. That's 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 weak. We want to go bigger than that. The average ScoreMaster user, user has raised their credit score. Are you ready for this? 61 points in 20 days or less. Ooh. 61 points. So let's let's look at what that means. Why do, why do, Bubba, why does that matter? I'll tell you why it matters. Let's say you went to buy an automobile this week, and when you got there, uh, you were in the high 500s to mid 600s. Okay, that's where you were. Mm-hmm. Well, when you bought that car, if you had gone to ScoreMaster first and and found out how to raise your credit credit score, just the average 61 points, say you, you just hit the, the average that we have, right? that would have saved you $9,000 on the car loan. <laughs> better credit, better deal, that's for sure. There you go. So if you'd gone to ScoreMaster before applying for a home loan and raised your score, just the average, 61 points, you out there, all of you watching or listening to this podcast, you could have saved almost $100,000 on the life of the loan. So this is big. This is big money. Now, if you're a business, you know how essential great credit is from getting a loan to funding projects to financing equipment. So you want to go to ScoreMaster first and see how super boosting your business credit score can save you a fortune. Uh, ScoreMaster puts you in control of your finances, not the banks. Enroll in minutes and see how many points ScoreMaster can add to your credit score. Visit scoremaster.com slash rickbubba. scoremaster.com slash rickbubba. Talking with Chuck Hooten, the book is The Worship Problem, uh, and, and we've talked about the problem, and then we're getting into the addressing of the problem, and, and you trying not to oversimplify again, and Bubba's going to have a follow-up question. You said one of the main reasons that in, the, in general, in the Western, especially contemporary church, that we don't enter into true worship is because we really are not entering into the presence of who God really is. He's a, he's a version, as I remember hearing clearly, God clarifying to me as I was starting the process, I'd been redeemed and I was trying to be sanctified and I could hear so clearly through the scriptures, God saying, this is not about you making me something you're more comfortable with. This is about you surrendering and denying yourself. So I make you something I'm more comfortable with. And so then you had a follow-up question to that. Well, Chuck, and I want to press you a little bit on what that really looks like. You're talking about sacrifice and this feeling and that, what does that look like at 11 a.m. on Sunday morning? What, what changes would be different from, if you draw it up, you correct the problem, you, you go, this is the way God wants it to be. What does it look like different than what we're doing right now? Give me, give me very clear ways of how this ought to be changed in America today. Mm, I think, what an amazing question, and I'm going to try to be really succinct in this, but I think, first of all, the answer doesn't start on 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. It starts at 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. on Monday morning, whatever time you get up the first of the week. What are the rhythms of your life that are worship? Um, whether we eat or we drink, the Bible says, do all to the glory of God, meaning that every decision we make in a day is an issue of worship. And so that's the that's the place I would start on an individual level, like it, as far as right. my personal life goes, am I a worshiper of God when I, as I live my life? Um, and I think that, you know, that's not going to be an across the board answer for everybody because Jesus says different things to different people. You know, if you're a fisherman, Jesus comes up and he says, drop your nets. If you're a, a rich Pharisee that feels like your birthright and who you are, 
makes you important, he's going to say something like, hey, you got to be born again. Your birth means nothing. Uh, if you're a rich young ruler asking how to be born again, he's going to say, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. So depending on who you are, what you count as important, who you think you are, that's that's where Jesus is going to come in and say, hey, let me redefine actually who you are into something better. So that's where the individual part comes. And then as we move into the church as a whole, the 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 church gathered on a Sunday, I think the answer, I think COVID is actually giving us a really front row seat of some of the issues that God has with the church. We have turned church into something that is very observational in nature, meaning like we have trained people to come and sit and listen attentively for an hour, an hour and a half, how long your church service goes to professional Christians getting up, like somebody like me will get up and do three or four songs Somebody will get up and talk for 30 or 40 minutes. Now in COVID, we're not even allowed to shake hands or hug. We don't even talk to anybody. And then we go home. Um, and so our, our, our worship, what we are saying about God is God just wants us to come and listen and, and learn facts about him so that we'll go then and maybe be better people. And yet the worship of God was so, even in the Old Testament, was so tactile. It was so experiential. And even in the New Testament, everything was was done out of a person's giftedness. And in the book of Acts, do you remember the story? Like the church had just started and, and it said everything was selling everything that they had and they were coming and they were laying it at the apostles' feet and no one had any need and the spirit was full. So people are surrendering, they're sacrificing, they're living for others and not for themselves. They, they, they feel the spirit flowing out of them into the other people. They are literally connecting the person across from them to God himself through their worship. And it's this living, breathing organism that is connecting people to God. I said, I said earlier when we started, like the Garden of Eden was this specific place where heaven and earth came together. And then, and then when the fall happens, that is ripped apart, and, and we're not with God anymore. And so God institutes temple worship in the Old Testament. That's what the Old Testament is about. It's this place where specifically his spirit comes to rest, trying to to bring these things back together. And if you read descriptions of the temple, it, it reads like a garden. There are plants and pomegranates and the tree of life is recreated in the lampstand and everything looks like the garden of Eden and yet it was not sufficient. In the book of Ezekiel, the spirit of God leaves the temple. And then Jesus shows up and he says crazy things like, tear this temple down and I rebuild it in three days. He begins to make claims like he is the new temple. He is the new Eden, the connection between heaven and earth. And then we read crazier things in the New Testament, especially in the book of 1 Peter, where he says, do you not know you're being built up as living stones? Or Paul says to the Corinthians church, you are the temple of God, and that you is, is plural, redneck, y'all. Y'all are the temple of God. It is where God's spirit has come to rest. And so literally, I am the, I am the recreation of, of the Garden of Eden. I am the place that God is now setting his spirit for the intent that when I meet somebody around my campfire or across the street, my neighbor, just like the Garden of Eden was that place that heaven and earth was supposed to be connected, now I am that place that heaven and earth is supposed to be connected so that when I talk to you, you get a sense of who God is because he loves you and he, he wants you to know what he's like, and that's my mission. That's my purpose. Is to tell. And then the we, when we join together in worship, that's our purpose. We are the place where God's spirit has come to dwell in a way where heaven connects to earth. It is not a place to come just simply sit 
and learn facts about God. It is a place where living, breathing, full of the Spirit people come and connect heaven back to earth. And I just believe we've lost some of that. I, 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 I'm not sure that we're, that we're walking out Monday morning in a way that says, you know what, I'm the connection between heaven and earth to my neighbor, where I sit down and my worship is going to be the very thing through my surrender and my sacrifice and the way that I live. I am going to be the means God uses to connect heaven to earth today. If that was the way we walked out of the door on Monday morning, our churches would not be boring. We would be coming, bringing stories of how God had worked through our worship to connect the lost world back to himself. But instead we run out and, and focus on everything, but we're busy and we just relegate our worship to an hour on Sunday morning. And God's just throwing his hands up and he's saying, I've created you for so much more. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think when you're talking about that, and I know this, I've, I've used this analogy before and you just hit on it and talking about those of us that are married and, and I'll use your example and we can fill in our wife's names here because I think this is what you're touching on because it's really, we, I think most of us look at these um, elders or these vocational ministers and we say, hey, we'll be there Sunday and y'all better usher us into the presence of God and we better have worship and we show up. We've done nothing to be prepared for worship. We've done nothing to be in awe of God, which you see in, in Acts chapter 4. What did it say about the church? They were constantly in awe of God, always. Well, you can't be in awe of God if you've never really experienced him. Uh, I think about even Job. Job says, I thought I knew you. Uh, they called me blameless. They called me upright. I had heard you with my ears, but now that we've rode through this suffering and now that you have actually refined me more than I thought I even needed to be refined, and now that I've seen your resume, which is part of what you're talking about, and I see who you are, I despise myself. Put my hand over my mouth. I despise myself, and I repent in ashes and dust. This is a guy they call blameless and upright compared to other people, but compared to God. He said, now that I've ushered into your presence and I really hear and see who you are, I despise myself, and I repent in ashes and dust. Mm. So let's take our wives. So we tell our wives that we love them on Sunday if it doesn't rain or we don't have anything else, anything else we need to do. So we're going to tell them that we're going to show up and tell them we love them, not every Sunday, but most Sundays, if it's, if it, you know, unless there's something that makes it difficult to be there. And we say, I'm going to tell you I love you. I'm going to sing songs to you. I'm going to bring you flowers. Now, about lunch, I'm going to be gone, okay? Uh, and, and you're not going to see me again until next Sunday, if, if nothing doesn't keep me from coming, I'll try to come. And I'm going to be out with other women. I'm going to be out doing other things I'd rather do. But now when I come back on Sunday, not every Sunday, most some Sundays, and I'm going to tell you I love you from the morning till lunch, do you think they believe we, we love them? Then why do we think God buys that garbage? No, he doesn't. He doesn't, and he says to, the, to Israel in the Old Testament, you know what, I, I despise your worship. I wish you wouldn't show up. He asks, he says to the psalmist, do you think I'm like a person like that? I need bulls and goats and the things that you have. I don't need these things. I need you. I'm looking for a contrite heart and spirit. These things are just representatives of who you are. But what I need is you. What I'm looking for is you. And there's a story in the Old Testament. You were talking, God meets the people of God, uh, Israel at Sinai, thunder and lightning. They're terrified. And he invites him to the mountain, but they send Moses up yeah. on their behalf. Like, hey, listen. That God is scary. You go up and talk to him. Tell us what he said. Come back down and tell us what he said. 
And now we treat church staff in the same way. They're like, hey, we're going to live our life all week long. You go up the mountain, listen to God for a little while. We'll come Sunday. You come back and tell us what he said. And Jesus himself says, I'm Moses. I have invited you now. You are invited up. That's what the Hebrews is all about. You have now been invited up the mountain to interact and worship with God. Not on Sunday. Even when you're asleep, you have been invited up the mountain to be in the presence of God. And we are so afraid of what he's going to say and what he's going to be like. We hire people to go up and talk to him for us so that we're off the hook. It's like he split the veil and we act like it's still there. We, well, no, we've done a real good job sewing it back together. Sewing it back like, together. <laughs> that's, so, that's, that's terrifying. I, right. Let's just keep it the way it was. Well, Chuck, thanks for taking time to be with us. If you get a chance to get the book, I, it, 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 you did a really good job with it. Uh, you know, when I first heard you were going to write a book, I thought, boy, what's Hooten doing? <laughs> but uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, out, outstanding job. You can get it by going to chuckhooten.com. If you want to follow their family's adventures and what's going on with them, you can go to Hooten's and Homies. Uh, on Instagram and YouTube. And uh, and Chuck, it was great to connect again, and thanks for taking time out of your day to be with us. And I hope this book is used by God to remind us, um, you know, of who he is and, and how worship was created. Uh, and it's something that, first of all, we have to apply to ourselves as individuals. Yes, Jesus, please. So, yes. Thank you guys so much for uh, having me on. This was so good. It was good for me. Thank you. Yeah, Thank too. you, Chuck. Thanks to all of you for joining us for this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast.